And I really appreciate that last song, At the Cross, At the Cross. Amen? Because at the cross, when we come to Jesus, no man is exalted above another. When we come to the cross, our sins are washed away. When we come to the cross, we find an equality that is there. When we come to the cross just as we are, our burdens are lifted. Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer? And let's not only pray for the Holy Spirit to bless the message, but to pray that the Holy Spirit would pry open our hearts today. Father in heaven, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord. Right now we can be still and know that you're God. Lord, we just thank you that in your presence is fullness of joy, and in your presence our burdens are lifted. And Lord, in our hand, no price we bring, but simply to the cross we cling. Just pray and ask, God, that you would be lifted up, that we would see Jesus is our heart's desire. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church family, just want to reiterate what Pastor Ted said, and that is we do have an evangelistic series coming up. And this is a time not only for Pastor Ted to be preparing, but for our church to be preparing. Perhaps there's somebody you're thinking about bringing to this series. You could be responsible for that person coming to the Lord and being saved, eternally saved. Perhaps it's a neighbor. Perhaps it's a friend, a co-worker, a family member. And you're thinking to yourself, I would love to invite them out to this series. Well, ladies and gentlemen... Until the series begin, and that's when? October 18th. I want you to be praying for those people. And that God would open up an opportunity for you to invite them. And you may be shocked one day when all of a sudden that person comes to you and says, You know, I just got this flyer in the mail. Do you know anything about it? That may be a providential opportunity for you. Amen? Amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the name of this sermon is called Eyeing Isaiah. Isaiah. I believe there are so many things in the book of Isaiah God wants us to understand. Isaiah was a prophet who preached during the time of four or five different kings. He talked about the world and various nations. In fact, what's so interesting about the book of Isaiah, the first, the first, uh, I forget my now, my mind is just slipping. The first part of Isaiah, it's very interesting. The first part of Isaiah is about God's judgment upon immorality and sin. The last part of Isaiah is very interesting. It's about God's grace and his love for sinners. And this week when I was studying out the book of Isaiah, God gave me some startling revelations. And I believe he wants us to understand something very interesting about the book of Isaiah and how it is relevant to our lives. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 6. Pay attention to what the very first verse says in Isaiah chapter 6. This is going to be a powerful Bible study. If you have your Bibles open, I know you're going to be blessed. All right. Isaiah chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Watch what the scriptures are saying. In the year that King who? 
Uzziah, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Now, I want you to stop right there. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says something very interesting when he has his revelation. It says, he saw the what? The Lord lifted up. He apparently has this powerful vision of God's greatness, but the Bible also times it simultaneously in the year that who died? King Uzziah. Now I'm going to ask you Bible students, what can you tell me about King Uzziah? He was a good king. He did many reforms in Israel. I'm very glad you brought that out, Steve. Now you're going to see a very interesting paradox right here. He was a good king. He carried out many different reforms. He was Israel's best hope during a time of apostasy. God raised up this man to do a great work of reformation. And a lot of people were being changed. Israel was now being strengthened and fortified against its enemies. Spirituality was changing in Israel. However, something unique takes place at the end of Uzziah's life. Now pay attention to this because this is extremely important. Uzziah, at the end of his life, the Bible says he became strong. His heart was lifted up. And one day when he saw the priests ministering in the temple, he decides that he wants to see what's inside that temple. And you know what he does? He takes some incense and he begins to march his way inside this temple that was only reserved for who? The priest. If you were a priest, you were the only one allowed inside the inner precincts of this temple. And here King Uzziah, he says to himself, you know what? I want to actually go inside this temple. I'm going to march my way inside this temple. I am the highest authority in this land. Nobody is going to stop me. I want to find out what's so mysterious about this. And the Bible says he began to take the incense and he walked right inside the temple. And all of a sudden, the priest, they stopped him. They stood in his way and said, you are not entering into this. Think about this. These priests were standing up to the highest authority in the land. The king... And like kings of old, have sentenced some priests to death. And here they stand bravely because they, are, they know what God's law says. Now only a Levite priest could enter into it. And so they stand and guard it. And they said, you are not entering in here. And Uzziah presses a little bit more, trying to make his way through. And the Bible says all of a sudden, he was struck with leprosy. Struck with leprosy. He was given this disease immediately. And he realized it and he walked off. Stumbling, And the Bible says he was a leper until the day of his death. Ladies and gentlemen, position does not make you immune from sin. Amen? Seniority in spirituality does not make you immune from sin. Amen? I know some of the older Adventists don't want to hear that. It doesn't make a difference how long you've been an Adventist. Sin is sin. And here this king who thinks to himself, he's like, I've been here long enough. I know what I'm going to do. He makes his way and God stops him and he's immediately judged. Because he tried to go into a place on earth that was only reserved for a certain group of people. And this is very interesting. The Bible starts off in Isaiah chapter 6 and says, In the year King Uzziah died, the, Isaiah saw what? The Lord what? Okay, this is where it gets really awesome. I want you to pay attention to the contrast. Here, you have a story of a man who was not allowed in the most holiest place on earth, which was 
the holy place, the most holy place in the sanctuary. And all of a sudden, Isaiah is given a revelation where he is brought into the most holiest place in the universe. This prophet. Here this prophet is allowed into the most holiest place in the universe where even the highest authority of the land was not allowed into the most holy place of the earthly sanctuary. And now here Isaiah is brought into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. The throne room of God. And watch what he sees right here. Isaiah chapter 6. Look what the Bible says right here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the what? The Lord sitting on a throne. High and what? Lifted up and the train of his robe filled the what? Now notice this. I've always tried to picture this in my mind. Here you have God. Isaiah is there in vision. And he's seeing this huge, beautiful um, throne room. And there he sees, the Bible says, high and lifted up. He sees God on his throne. Like a king. And the Bible says, his robe filled the temple. Have you ever seen a picture of a king with a very long robe, a trail, a train? And so when they get up to sit on this throne, they almost have to just sort of sit this way. And the side of their robe, the train of the robe, sort of just goes off on the side because it's so big. The Bible says the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah is viewing God in all of his majesty. You can imagine all the fireworks and the beautiful light and the glamour and the splendor and majesty as Isaiah is taken into this beautiful vision of God and he sees God in the most holiest place in the universe in his proximity. Watch this. And above it stood what? Seraphim. Each one having six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he what? Flew, and one cried another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, what? The Lord of hosts, the whole earth of, of the whole earth is full of his glory. The Bible says this as Isaiah is in this beautiful picture, this vision where he is brought into the throne room of God, he sees the seraphim. Now, what's very interesting about the word seraphim, the word seraphim is describing a kind of angel. But the word seraphim is actually a uh, sort of, it's a break between two different words. It essentially means burning ones, one on fire. And what he is seeing, he is seeing these beautiful angels who essentially are made of fire. And this glorious light is shining out from them. And they're right there. And the Bible says that they had wings. And in this moment, even these beautiful angels that stand in the presence of God, the Bible says, they're covering their eyes in reverence. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And you know what Isaiah is essentially brought into? He is brought into a worship service. Here you have this humble prophet. By the way, Isaiah one day would be sawed to death. Sawed in half. He's seeing this beautiful scene. He's watching the majesty of it. And it is just overwhelming. He sees these angels, these seraphim, these ones that are made of fire. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And he's just watching the whole thing. And he's just stepping back in amazement, just blown away at the majesty of God. Watch what the Bible says next. Verse 4. And the posts of the door were shaken by the what? By the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with what? Smoke. 
Remember, as these angels are crying out, holy, 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 all of a sudden, the vibrations go through the entire temple, and the very posts that are holding up this heavenly sanctuary are starting to vibrate slightly. Can you imagine that? Here these angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah's looking at the very post, and they're just vibrating. He's watching the whole thing. He's just overwhelmed. He's noticing sights. He's noticing smells. He's noticing sound. He's paying attention. This was a very experiential moment for Isaiah, and he's beholding all of this. Some of you are thinking, where are we going with this? Just wait. Blown away by this throne room of God. Now, let me ask you a question without you reading any further. If you were brought into that moment, what would you be thinking? What would you be thinking? What did you say, sweet Carmen? I would be dead. You said you'd be dead. Okay. You'd feel insignificant. How would you feel? Huh? Shame? Unworthy? Unworthy? How would you feel? Afraid? Oh, come on, you guys. You guys never thought about what it's like to be in front of God one day? You say marvelous? Okay, I like that. Huh? Naked? Okay. How would you feel? Shamed. Okay. Huh? Okay. How many people would feel pretty confident during that time? Now, I'm intentionally staying at this spot for a little bit longer because I want you to see something in just a bit. Here he is, he is beholding everything, he's blown away, he's seeing the majesty of God, he's experiencing things, and the Bible actually describes what Isaiah felt. Take a good look at the next verse. Verse 5, so I said, woe is what? Me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean what? Lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of what? Unclean lips, my eyes have seen the king, the what? The Lord of hosts. Here Isaiah has this beautiful picture of God, this vision of God. And you know what goes through his mind? He feels how much of a sinner he really is. You know what's so interesting? The more we see of God, the more we will criticize ourselves. The less we see of God, the more we'll criticize others. I'd like to say that one more time. The more we see of Christ the more we will feel how much of a sinner we are. The less we see of Christ, the more we will feel of how much of a sinner is everybody around me. Ladies and gentlemen, the closer you come to Christ, the more unworthy you feel. And here Isaiah, now I want you to think about Isaiah's word right here. I'm promising this, you guys are going to be blessed by this. I'm purposely delaying the progression of this because I want you just, I want this experience just to marinate right now. What did Isaiah say? He says, what? I am what? Unworthy. And he says, I have what? Unclean lips. You know what he's actually quoting from when he says, I have unclean lips? He's actually essentially saying, I have leprosy. You know why that's interesting? Because the very king who tried to go into the very presence of God without God's permission, violating God's own law, what happened to him? He was struck with leprosy. And now you have this man who's brought into the very throne room of God, and as he's brought into the throne room of God, he's starting to feel the leprosy of his own heart. Told you this story a long time ago, I remember it. It was the story of this man, Malcolm Muggridge, who was a journalist who died a few years ago. This man was from England, and one day he was visiting India. And as he was visiting India, 
He was enjoying the time out there. He was away from his companions. He was going out for a swim when all of a sudden he saw a beautiful lady who was bathing. And he says to himself, well, this is an opportunity I have right now. No one is around me. I'll swim out to her. I'll proposition her because she is poor and she won't refuse me. So as he begins this swim, he's swimming his way to her. He's swimming his way to her, and as he's getting closer, I mean, he's just like escaping all the conviction, just running away from it, or swimming away from it, you could say. And as he's getting closer and closer, he's just really excited about what he's going to do, not thinking about the consequences that are about to happen. And as he's getting closer, all of a sudden, he comes to this sudden shock when he realizes she's a leper. He writes in his journal, and he says, when I saw her, I was about to say, what a leprous woman. When he said the conviction came to his heart and he he remembered the conviction of the Holy Spirit and what it says, what a leprous heart. It dawned on him who was the real leper, who was the real unclean person. And so here he was, Isaiah, standing before the throne room of God. He's having this powerful experience, and he's feeling so overwhelmed by the majesty of God, the glory of God. He's starting to feel the unworthiness, the uncleanness of his own heart. And he says, woe is me, I'm unclean. And he even says, I'm around people who are unclean. I'm around friends who are unclean. And he's describing his very condition when all of a sudden, look what the Bible says next, it's powerful. Isaiah chapter 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live what? Coal, which had been taken from the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your what? Lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is what? Purged. Also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send what? Send me. Now pay attention to this. I'm purposely wanting us to spend some time here because you're going to see something beautiful. Here he is. He's there and he's beholding the glory of God. He says, I'm such a sinful man. When all of a sudden he hears the voice of God who tells him to take one, tells one of the seraphim, take coals off the altar. And he brings it over to Isaiah. He puts it on his tongue and he says, your sin is gone. It's purged. God takes away the sin of Isaiah. And then God says this very interesting question. He says, by the way, is there anybody here who will go for me? And can you imagine these beautiful angels there? So powerful, ready to serve God at any moment. You can imagine they go up and their wings go up too as they're raising their hands and wings. They would absolutely jump for that chance. But God was not looking for an angel to take the gospel to the world. He was looking for a what? A man. And when Isaiah realized that God had forgiven his sins, all of a sudden, his desire to go preach the gospel increased. It was the natural response. Ladies and gentlemen, I know we stand up here and many times we try to produce artificial ways for you to do ministry. But if you are forgiven by Jesus, you're going to have a love for souls. Because the Bible says, he who is forgiven much, loves much. He who is forgiven little, Loves little. If Jesus is dwelling in your heart and you believe and trust the forgiveness that he gives to you, the natural response is you're going to want out to go out there and say, Lord, I want to share your message with the whole world. Oftentimes when I go through experience of feeling just this dry spirituality, not feeling like I want to be a witness today, 
I don't pray, God, help me to be a witness. I pray, God, show me a new picture of who you are. And when that happens, instantly the desire comes. Isaiah had this picture. And this picture would eventually lead him, propel him in his ministry to one day be sacrificed, be sawed in half by the very people he came to save. Here Isaiah has this picture. Very interesting. I probably didn't tell you something that you didn't know. I'm sure I didn't. Isaiah has this picture of God, and he's viewing this. He's so blown away by the majesty of God. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Isaiah was given another picture of God. Take your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. You're going to be blown away by the conclusion of this. I'm not guaranteeing it. I believe the Holy Spirit's guaranteeing it. Isaiah 53, are we all there? Look at Isaiah 53, powerful passage of Scripture. Look what the Scriptures are saying. Who has believed our what? Report. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now watch this. For he shall grow up before him as a tender what? Plant. And as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, comeliness that we should see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. All of a sudden, Isaiah is given another picture of God. And this time, he doesn't see the Lord high and lifted up. This time, he sees God at the depth of his con- condescension. In fact, he even starts off in Isaiah 53 saying, who's going to believe what we're about to share? And it describes God clothing himself with human garments. And the scripture says, he had no beauty. Ladies and gentlemen, what did God see? What did Isaiah see when he saw God's glory? He saw God's beauty, his majesty, his splendor. Now God was about to reveal to Isaiah another picture of himself. And in this picture, you know what he was seeing? He was seeing the Savior. And he was seeing the Savior who did not look beautiful. He had no attraction. As Seventh-day Adventists, we definitely believe the biblical principle of modesty. Can you say amen to that? But the primary motivation of modesty comes from this chapter. As Jesus was simple, and he brought no artificial attraction to himself. So we as Christians are to attract people to the character of God. Amen? And here, Isaiah sees this picture of God, and he says, Who is going to believe this? And they look at this picture of God, and he does not look like a GQ model. He does not look like somebody you'll see on the cover of Hollister. Their storefront. He does not look like that. The Bible says there was nothing in him that was attractive. He looked ordinary. Now watch what else Isaiah sees in this beautiful picture of God right here. Verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of what? Sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our what? Faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. This doesn't sound like angels worshiping him. This doesn't sound like seraphim and cherubim surrounding his throne, praising God. You know what Isaiah is seeing? He is seeing a picture of God where people are rejecting him. You can imagine Isaiah just scratching his head and says, who's going to believe this? Watch what happens next. Surely he has borne 
our griefs and carried our what? Sorrows. Yet we esteemed him. The word esteem means valued. We valued him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. When the world saw Jesus, you know what they saw? They saw somebody who was afflicted. They saw somebody who didn't have it together. They saw somebody who looked like somebody who belonged in a different part of the world. Let's keep going. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are what? Healed. The word stripes essentially means wounds. By his wounds we are healed of our wounds. Isaiah is viewing this picture of God and he's just scratching his head and says, What? Let's keep going. All we like what? Sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him what? The iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not its mouth, his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment. And who will declare his generation? Now what I'm about to share with you is going to be very powerful if you're paying attention. Ladies and gentlemen, Isaiah is seeing this picture of God. And he's so blown away because this is not a picture where angels are worshiping him. This is not a picture where the posts of the temple are shaking as a king in his robe. He is seeing a despised man. The life of Christ was a rebuke to the pride of this world, ladies and gentlemen. It was a rebuke. Whenever I travel to India, I see these huge, gigantic statues of of Vishnu, of Krishna, of Shiva. And they stand 70, 80 feet tall. And they have a crown. And they have this gorgeous robe. And they have this trident. They have this spear. They have this sword. They have a scepter. And at the bottom, people are coming to worship him. But when you take a good look at Jesus, he's completely contrary to this picture. You almost just got to scratch your head. And you can imagine Isaiah just scratching his head saying, what? What in the world? You know, I was just thinking about something earlier on in the week. You know, the Bible says that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they were clothed with what? When they sinned, what were they eventually clothed with? They started to cover themselves with fig fig leaves, but then what did God cover them with? Animal skins. Now let me ask you a question. Ellen White says that when Adam and Eve saw the first leaf fall to the ground, it was like to him sudden death. I'm going to make an argument right now, and it's probably not backed up very well, but I want you to think about it. I think it's true. I don't believe Adam and Eve were present when the lamb was sacrificed for them. Because the Bible says he brought these garments to them. If Ellen White even writes out how when he saw one leaf died, one leaf fall, it was like traumatic to him. He would not be able to handle the sacrifice of a lamb. My point is this. Adam was not ready for certain revelations of God's sacrifice. God had to progressively open up his mind in time to understand the details And here Isaiah is given this picture where now he is seeing this great glorious God who was sitting on his high and holy temple or high and holy throne, and now he is seeing him despised, he is seeing him rejected, he is seeing him afflicted, and he's seeing this, he's seeing the Messiah, and he's seeing the world utterly rejecting everything that he was. 
Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus came to this earth, he had nothing that would get him on the front page of a magazine. Nothing. The cross is not attractive to any of us. In fact, the cross was viewed as something very ugly. It was designed to be for the worst of criminals, designed to torture the victim as long as possible. It is the slowest death that is the most painful kind of death there is. Jesus' life was somebody, was the one who came to this earth, who came with love and joy, who came as a man of sorrows, a man who was acquainted with grief, one who could sympathize with people, one who could place his hands and bless those who were weak and help those who were sick. He was one whose life was one of constant ministering to others. He was selflessness personified. The life of Christ... Ladies and gentlemen, oftentimes it's not always easy to behold because when we're beholding that, we are finding one that is contrary to our nature. He was the law of God manifested, perfect. And as the world saw him, they rejected it. Now what is very interesting is this next portion. Watch what the Bible says. Verse 8. He was taken from prison and from what? Judgment and who will declare his generation? For he was what? Cut off from the land of the what? Living. Notice what the scriptures are saying. He was what? Cut off. The Bible here is describing eventually that when the sacrifice would be given for this world, he would be, what was that word? Cut off. You know what's very interesting about that phrase, cut off? That phrase cut off is sort of a divine penalty. It's a penalty that God gives. You find it first mentioned, the word, the phrase of it, the Hebrew I'm talking about, in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 22. And what you find in Leviticus chapter 16 is the what? Day of atonement. And in the Day of Atonement, you had the high priest who would go into the most holy place. And what would happen is, right before he would go into the most holy place, two animals were taken, and one would be sacrificed, and one would be left for the later part of the service. So the high priest would go in there, the lamb would be or the animal would be sacrificed, he'd walk out, and all the people would cheer, and then what would happen was, the second animal would be led out into the wilderness, where he was left to, the Bible says, an uninhabited land, and eventually he would be cut off. And that represented what God would do with the wicked. You know, it's so interesting. As I was studying this out this morning, God just impressed me with something. Look at the news. Turned it on, and guess what today is? Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That's today. It is what is celebrated by Jews today. Soon as I was studying that out, and it dawned on me, when the Bible says he was cut off, that is that same phrase that is used to describe the second animal when it is cut off and left to the rest of the world. The Bible is describing how Jesus right here would die the death of the wicked. He would be sacrificed as if he was part of the wicked. The Bible even says he was smitten, afflicted, here what you are getting is a picture of what would happen to the Messiah. Let's keep going. For the transgressions of what? 
My people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked. Ladies and gentlemen, here the Bible is pointing out a picture of what would happen to this high and holy king who was worshipped by angels. God here is revealing to Isaiah that what would happen would be that the Messiah would die as one of the wicked. Last night we were studying out the cross. Came to a very interesting conclusion about Jesus when he was dying on that cross. That was this. When Jesus was dying, he could not see past the portals of the grave. In other words, Jesus reached a point experientially where he had no hope of the resurrection. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you call somebody who has no hope for the resurrection? You call them lost. Those people are lost people. And what happened to Jesus was that he reached a point of being lost. A lost man. You think about Cain who experienced lostness when he rejected God. You think about King Saul who experienced this lostness when he rejected God. You experience, you think about Judas who experienced this lostness when he betrayed God. And essentially what Jesus was feeling was what they were feeling. Jesus died on the cross as a lost man. It is not saved people that cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is lost people that cry out, God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus became a lost man that you would be saved. He died as a lost man so that you could be saved. Oftentimes, most people don't identify with the second death None of us says, well, I know what the second death feels like. We understand that's what's uh, in store for the wicked. We understand what, when idea intellectually, what it's like for those who are going to be destroyed at the end of time by fire. We get that. But here's the thing. Most of us don't identify with that. But one thing we can identify with, we know what it's like to be lost. And for Jesus, who felt it in an intense level, Jesus experienced, in a sense, emotionally, a loss of salvation. Ellen White says he actually had no assurance. You ever feel like a lost person? Guess what? So did Jesus. You ever felt like Cain, rejecting what God has told you? So did Jesus. You ever feel like Judas? You feel like you just sold him out for some money? Guess what? So did Jesus. You feel like King Saul, you feel like I finally reached that point where I feel like I've committed the unpardonable sin. I feel lost. Guess what? Jesus felt lost. He experienced that. He experienced lostness. No salvation. He reached the point where there was no hope of the resurrection. Ladies and gentlemen, it is those who are wicked, those who are lost, who experience no hope of the resurrection, no assurance of forgiveness. Jesus experienced emotionally that episode. He became a lost man, yet he still made the choice to finish it. Finish the mission. Now here's where it even gets cooler. Take your Bible, let's go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Let's start with verse 37. Are we all there? Amen? Watch what the scriptures are saying here. It's powerful. Don't miss this. But although he had done so many signs before them, 
They did not believe in what? Him. So that the word of the Isaiah, the who? Wait a minute. John's about to quote from Isaiah. Watch what he says right here. Might be fulfilled which he spoke. Watch what he says. He's quoting from Isaiah. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now watch what he says in verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Isaiah here is being quoted from, where is John quoting from the book of Isaiah? He's quoting from Isaiah 53, the first part. Where else is he quoting from? Isaiah chapter 6. He's quoting from two unusual responses that the world was going to give. Isaiah saw when God's glory will be manifested and the world will be rejected him. Isaiah saw when the glory would be manifested in the condescension of Jesus and the world will be rejected. Here, John, he's actually quoting from these two pictures. The picture of God high and lifted up on the throne and the picture of the Messiah going to the depths of this world. And he quotes from those two experiences. And now this is where it gets really cool. Watch what John says next. These things Isaiah, what? Said when he saw his, what? Glory. And spoke of him. Ladies and gentlemen, when did Isaiah see the glory of God? He saw the glory of God revealed when God was on his throne. If you notice the context, he's also quoting from Isaiah 50. Three, he saw the glory of God when? When he would suffer for our sins. And that's why John says, these things he wrote when he saw the glory of God. Isaiah saw the glory of God at the cross. He saw the glory of God at the throne. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand something. That if we want to be changed, we've got to behold God's what? Glory. And I don't think it was by accident nor was it by any type of planning when Scott said we should behold every hour or, or, or we should contemplate every day a thoughtful hour on the life of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says when we behold the glory of God, we shall be transformed into the same glory. I love what Ellen White says. She says that one constant look at the cross of Calvary will do more to purify the heart than all the intellectual arguments. You may be reaching a point where you're thinking to yourself, nothing can change my sinful heart. I'm stuck in who I am. But God is saying to you, if you behold the cross and you stare at it constantly, she says, Ellen White says it's so beautiful, it will do more to purify the heart than essentially anything else. Do you want a changed heart? Are you tired of struggling the same way with the exact same things, ladies and gentlemen. God is calling you to behold the glory of God. Isaiah saw the glory of God. And as he beheld the glory of God, his own heart was changed. John, who leaves half of the whole book of John on the last few scenes of Christ's life, was somebody who beheld the glory of God, yet he was the youngest of all these disciples and just as faulty as Judas. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us 
to see him in a whole new way. He's calling us to gain a fresh revelation of the character of God. And as we behold that, ladies and gentlemen, your heart will naturally change. You may be somebody who is struggling with something and you can't break the chains of addiction. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling you to behold the cross. You may be somebody today who is wanting to come closer to God. God is calling you to behold the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling you to come to the cross. To come to the cross and behold the glory of God. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.